It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely, as we get set for this recap of UFC Fight Night Smith versus Teixeira, which, of course, took place on Wednesday, May 13th at the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. And what a good fight card it was. And I'm not just saying that just because we have fights back, which is also uh, a major benefit uh, to the UFC having this uh, stretch of, of three events in seven days. But really, what, what, a, what a fun card. What a fun card. Uh, a little odd. Uh, watching the Wednesday night fights kind of reminds me of those PFL cards uh, that they would do just on like random Tuesdays. Um, but much, much high quality, much more high quality fights on on, on this UFC fight night card. So uh, that's, that's definitely a, a plus. And I got to say, I'm pleasantly surprised. There's there's some more serious stuff that we're going to have to talk about in, in a couple of minutes, but I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at, at the event. You know, you looked at this stretch of events for the UFC, and obviously the Wednesday night card uh, was the least stacked. Obviously, you know, you can't get much more stacked than UFC 249, but uh, even that Saturday card coming up with uh, Walt Harris and, and Alistair Overeem, even that card has some pretty good fights. Even on the prelims, I was a little hesitant on this Wednesday night card, um, but listen, they delivered, and that's that's the beauty about some of these these fight cards that the UFC puts on. Just historically, you know, you'll you'll go, oh, there's some random fight night card in May in Santiago, Chile, and I don't know any of the fighters on it. And then you watch, you you spend your three four hours, you watch the fights, and you go, wow, okay, now I know a couple of fighters. They're on my radar now. Uh, you know, they're UFC newcomers. They're they're guys coming off of the Contender series. And, uh, you know, they make a name for themselves. So that's always the beauty of when uh, people go, well, it's not exactly a, a stacked card. Yeah, well, most of the time it doesn't have to be a stacked card because even if you don't know the names of these fighters, they're, they're fighting, for, fighting for a lot. So uh, pleasantly surprised with the fight card. Uh, and I guess there's no, there's no more reason to bury the lead. Uh, so in the main event, Glover Teixeira knocks out Anthony Smith uh, in the fifth round. And I got to say, I did not see that outcome happening. So I went 500 on my prediction. So I, I guess technically I get my batting average up, but uh, a little disappointed in my predictions these last couple of fights. But um, good for Glover Teixeira. Honestly, one of, the, one of the, the good guys in the sport of mixed martial arts. And a lot to talk about. You know, it's weird because Glover Teixeira, he was on that three-fight winning streak, you know, kind of fending off the new generation, you know, guys like uh, Nikita Krylov and and uh, Carl Roberson, uh, who got pulled off the off the fight. And logically, so Anthony Smith was fourth in the rankings, Glover Teixeira was eighth in the rankings, and logically, you know, this puts Glover in the top five, and like I said on, on, uh, on Tuesday's show, Man, if you're in the top five, a title shot is a real possibility. Like, I know there's there's certainly fighters who uh, you would rather see fight John Jones. Obviously, Dominic Reyes is a very solid case. Um, uh, Jan Blahovich, I was blanking on for a second. Jan Blahovich has a, has a great case. Even Thiago Santos has a little bit of a case. But uh, if you're in the top five, 
listen, four-fight winning streak, you're in the top five. It's kind of a wonky division. You know, it's not out of the possibility that Glover Teixeira could get a title shot in 2020. And despite everything I just said, nobody's really talking about Glover. And I, I suppose rightly so, but I think we should give Glover his his props because that was a fantastic performance. Um, but a lot of people are talking about Anthony Smith's corner. And I, I can see why because, man, I have so many I have so many thoughts about that. But just very very quickly, just talking about the actual fight itself. What a what a weird strategy. And now I predicted Anthony Smith would win by first round knockout. I thought he was going to get back to his his former self before he lost to Jones, where he's just knocking out legends, um, you know, in the first round, just murking them. And he put quite a pace on Glover in that first round, maybe a little bit in the second round too, but really started to gas out. I mean, it's a five-round fight. Glover, Glover fought very smart. And then just, we almost had three consecutive 10-8 rounds before the fight got stopped in the fifth round and I don't know maybe maybe we slept on Glover maybe I slept on Glover but uh, I know Anthony Smith I mean listen we saw him so he blows his his gas tank against Glover Teixeira in like a round and a half but you know he he has the greatest gas tank of all time in the Gustafson fight where he finishes him late in that fight in his home country so it's kind of tough to, to make sense of this fight other than, listen, Anthony Smith, I know he had the hand injury, and I, everybody has injuries. That's a cop-out, but fair enough. Everybody has injuries. But I, I don't think Anthony Smith is a different fighter than he was when he fought Gustafson, I believe, in June of 2019. It's just, a, as far as I can tell, it's a different strategy, and this strategy absolutely did not work out. Um, I thought Glover probably could have finished that fight in the in the third or fourth round, and I'm not going to say he, he made puzzling choices because obviously Glover's very good on the ground. And even when he takes uh, Lionheart down, he, he's wearing him out and, and stuff like that. But it really seems like there was a couple of times where, you know, you heard him. Like when he hit, uh, I believe it was with the right hand, when he hit uh, Lionheart and he crumpled up like a, a lawn chair. You just have to get on top of him and just throw th- three half-hearted punches and, and the referee is going to stop it. There was a couple of situations where it's just like, Glover, if you just throw a couple of more strikes, you don't even have to mean them, but the ref's just going to stop him, and then he'll go for a takedown, and then that gives... Well, I'm not going to say it gives Smith a chance to rest, because obviously that wasn't the case, but it's it. he made a couple of interesting choices. But ultimately it works out, and, and he gets the win, but I mean, there to, to live and fight another day is not in the vernacular of... Mark Montoya, who I believe is the coach of of Anthony Smith. I mean, I, I I was starting to question. I think I put out a tweet where like, well, Anthony Smith's corner got what he wanted. Like, what did you what did you want? Like, yes, you obviously could Anthony Anthony Smith have beaten Glover Teixeira in that fifth round. It's technically possible. Is it probable? Not even remotely. Not even remotely probable. Uh, there's a one in a million chance that he lands a, a crazy haymaker and knocks out Glover. There's a 99.99% chance that he just gets brutalized, absolutely beaten up, or worse. I'd say, all things considered, Anthony Smith got off very lightly. He got off very lightly because 
Now, I don't know which is worse. I know which one's optically worse, but he, he did get worked over. He did get beat up, but he didn't get completely knocked out. And it's like, if Anthony Smith in that fifth round just got, I mean, KO, KO, KO'd. Well, you got what you wanted, corner. Like, what did you think was going to happen? So, so no matter his probability of winning the fight, no matter how much damage he's taken, we don't look out for our fighters. And as lo- so as long as he's still conscious, we're going to keep him in the fight. And then once he gets knocked out, then our job's done here. Lionheart got absolutely knocked out. I get what we have, what we wanted to happen, happened. I guess. So I don't understand it. You gotta save your fighters. Uh, you, you gotta live to fight another day. There's no, there's no shame. And I get fighters are wired differently. So I don't put any of the blame on Anthony Smith, obviously. But I just feel like I have to say that because you can never expect a fighter. Fighters are weird. Fighters are different. I mean, you fight in a cage for a living. So if you're a fighter, you're a weirdo. Now there's good weirdos and bad weirdos. Being a weirdo is not inherently good or bad, but fighters are weirdos. You can't get around that. So, so you can never like with, uh, uh, you know, there's other scenarios like the Thomas Gifford fight, which I think was the same corner. Like you can never expect Lionheart Smith could get 10 aided rounds one, two, three, and four. And do you think he's going to give up in round five? No, because that's what fighters do. Fighters are too tough for their own good. So as a corner, as a corner, you have to look out for your fighter's best interest. You can't assume, and I thought the fight was stopped way too late. If I was, um, oh man, I'm blanking on the referee's name. I don't want to say the wrong one. Uh, Jason Herzog. If I was Jason Herzog, I would have stopped that fight way earlier. Like, and I don't even really put a lot of the blame on Herzog, even though you you certainly could make a case that, that some of the blame needs to go to Jason Herzog. But if you're a corner... You have to assume two things. You have to assume that my fighter is too tough for his own good, so I need to look out for the self-interest of my fighter, and you can never assume that you're going to get a competent referee, or that if you get a competent referee, that they're going to be competent in that fight. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm sure, even the worst referees, I'm sure Steve... No, no, not Mazzagati. Uh, I'm sure Mario Yamasaki. I'm sure 70% of his fights that he refed went perfectly fine. And the fighters had no complaints. But if you're a corner, you have to be cognizant and know, listen, somebody like Yamasaki might be good 70% of the time. There also might be a time where it's Valentina Shevchenko and I'm cornering Priscilla Cashueta and Valentina almost murders Cashway, like Priscilla Cashueta very easily could have died in that fight. And I, I don't even, I'm not even trying to say that hyperbolically, but when you take a sustained beating like that, a historic beating, like, man, it's not crazy to think that one day if this type of mentality keeps up and we have, you know, we have corners that just are, are, are too tough for their fighters good, which doesn't even make sense, like that, that we're going to have somebody in a coma or we're going to have somebody with permanent brain damage or we're going to have somebody who dies. Boxing has it. High-profile high uh, cases, maybe three, four, five times a year. So it's not crazy to think that a, a UFC fighter is going to die if something like this, you know, keeps up. So you, you have to realize, like, yeah, man, like, even the best referees, like Herb Dean, 
Like, even they mess up. You can never assume just, well, the referee's in there, so therefore nothing bad's going to happen. No, permanent brain damage, permanent damage could happen regardless of, of whether or not a referee's in there because, you know, maybe they're just off that day. Maybe, you know, everybody has their off days. So it's it's a it's a scary situation. And, you know, his teeth are falling out. And I read something where he has veneers, whatever the hell that means. So maybe his teeth fall out easier. But apparently these were two natural uh, tooths. So it, it's just, you got to read body language. Like when, when Smith would get knocked down, he just kind of curled up, man. It really didn't look like he wanted to be in there. And, he, and he's never going to say he doesn't want to be in there. But... You, you can't care what he thinks. You got to care about his health. So it, it's just honestly a really scary situation when when you have a corner. So like if the ref's not going to stop it or let it go on for way too long, the your, your opponent is not going to stop beating the, the piss out of you. And if you're if you're not going to give up because you're a tough fighter. And if you and if you're if your corner doesn't throw in the towel, well, I guess I'll just die then. Like, what are we doing? Like we we just fight to the death. Like, we're, we're way too far beyond that. Like, we can't have people, you know, just taking permanent brain damage in there. You know what I mean? And he, he had, like, a fractured orbital or and maybe a broken jaw or something. He had a, he had a lot of serious injuries that are going to take some time to heal. And I know it sounds crazy. Like, I got clowned a little bit on Twitter about, like, this took, this took years off of Anthony Smith's fighting career. Could have taken months off of his life. Like, that's not good to just get beat to a pulp, you know what I mean? And maybe he didn't have to get beat to a pulp to, to you know, admit that he lost the fight. Like, he lost that fight in, like, the third round. Late third round, certainly by the fourth round, it was very evident that he had lost the fight and that, barring a complete miracle, which is possible, but, you know, let's not bank on miracles here. Like, it's more than likely that he's just going to continue to take a beating. It, it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense and I, I don't know what you can do to to fix that um obviously you don't want to be too gun shy like there's there's certainly a fine line that you have to walk you know what I mean and we were just talking about this on um the 249 recap like okay we could let the Dominic Cruz fight with with Henry Cejudo go an extra five seconds because Dominic Cruz is not going to die he's not going to probably not going to take too much more damage if you just let it go five more seconds it's all about context man like if it just goes five more seconds then then we know for sure Henry Cejudo won but if we let it go two more rounds with Anthony Smith I, I, I just don't I don't know what you could do or what you could fix and I'm not even saying that there should be you know any new rules that we should implement to stop this because I think all the rules in place are fine they just have to be you know, enforced. We just can't have people willing to let people die in the octagon. Um, but moving on to the uh, the co-main event, we had Ben Rothwell uh, win a split decision over Ovince St. Prue. And I got to be honest, I, I, I had a little trepidation about that being the co-main event. Uh, but not, not that bad of a fight. I kind of liked it. It was an interesting matchup. I got to admit, I did not like the matchup. I said it made no sense on the preview show. But you know what? I'm sold. I'm sold. OSP as a heavyweight, I'm sold. You know, he's 37 years old. Uh, you know, heavyweights age uh, much longer. You know what I mean? So, and and he's going to be lighter and faster. I don't think he put on a great performance necessarily, but I don't know 
what more could OSP, OSP do at light heavyweight? Like, he's going to have to go on a 10-fight win streak to get another title shot. So I thought it was interesting. Uh, I thought it was interesting that, that he weighed in at 240, which seems to be the sweet spot. I mean, you look at some of the greatest heavyweights in, in, in UFC history, 6'4", 240s, sounds about right. You know what I mean? That's right about Cain Velasquez territory. I think Cain's a, a little bit shorter than that. That's right about, you know, JDS territory in his prime. Uh, that's pretty much Miocic, Miocic's dimensions. So, you know, I mean, that, seem, that, seems, to, that seems to be an interesting move for uh, OSP and for Ben Rothwell. I mean, good for him. You know, in my mind, he's on a three-fight win streak. Uh, I know he lost his two fights before that to Blago Ivanov and Andrei Arlovsky. I thought he won both of those fights. Again, I'm not going to die on that hill that Ben Rothwell beat those two guys, but in my humble opinion, I think he's on a three-fight win streak. And to be honest, I don't I don't really think it was a, a split decision, although OSP had some moments, and he, he knocked him down after the fight. Um, I don't really understand how that's a, a split decision. Uh, and I really like the call out of, uh, um, oh, I can picture him, uh, Alexei Olenek. There we go, Alexei Olenek. I love the call out so much that I forgot Alexei Olenek existed. Uh, but just two old guys fighting each other. I like that, uh, especially after Olenek's performance against uh, Fabricio Verdum. You know, and a lot of people are down on Rothwell because he lost those two fights and kind of had a not the greatest performance against OSP, although a victorious one. But to be honest with you, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, the the top five at heavyweight is really, really good. But, like, other than that, man, it's just kind of like this amorphous bleh. You know what I mean? Like, it's really blasé at heavyweight. So, honestly, you know, 38 years old. I know Ben Rothwell has a, has a million fights. So, uh, you know, he's, he's not going to be around for five more years. But... Uh, I think he could. I think he could do something. I think he could do something. Uh, in the, I guess the feature bout of the main card. I don't, I don't know what they call the the third fight in the main card. But uh, in in that third fight on the main card, Drew Dober, slowly turning into my boy. He's, he knocked out uh, Alexander Hernandez. That was vicious. The finishing sequence sequence on that was was vicious. Those final forty seconds. Uh, he he sent old uh, old day drinking Hernandez back to the stable on that one. Um, who's real? Uh, again, I don't, I don't listen to what the UFC says. So I know that technically, the Texas Commission said Alexander Hernandez beat Francisco Trinaldo. I don't accept your premise. I just don't accept it. So Hernandez, in my mind, is on a three-fight losing streak because there's no way you can convince me that Alexander Hernandez backpedaling the entire time beat Francisco Trinaldo. He he won a home state decision. So he's on a three-fight losing streak as far as I'm concerned. Francisco Trinaldo did not lose. And Drew Dober, I mean, the the lightweight division, listen, Drew Dober will be tested. He'll be tested because that's the deepest division in the UFC. Arguably, you could make a case for welterweight. But Drew Dober, three straight knockout finishes. He knocked out uh, Marco Polo Reyes. That was in Minneapolis. Uh, he derailed the hype train of, I always butcher his name, uh, Nazrat Hackparast. And then beating Hernandez, I mean, he'll be in the rankings. He'll be in the rankings, and l- listen, he's going to, he'll get a test. And uh, what was it, after the fight, I think uh, they were talking about a fight between him and Paul Felder. Uh, I'd, I'd be interested in that. 
um, maybe a little too highly ranked uh, of an opponent considering how deep the division is. But, you know, if Paul Felder wants it, I don't I don't see why not. I'd like to see him match up. I'd like, ooh, man, that's, that's interesting. I'd like to see him match up. I'm taking a look at the rankings right now. Maybe a, maybe a Cowboy Cerrone. Maybe a Cowboy Cerrone because the timelines are going to match up. Uh, I'm sure Drew Dober could do a quick turnaround, which surely Cowboy wants because he's Cowboy and he fights very often. Uh, but a Cowboy would make a lot of sense because Dober is probably going to be, be ranked 15. Uh, Cowboy is currently number 12 in the rankings. Um, and I mean, there's some interesting matchups, but I don't know if these guys are still fighting at the moment. Uh, or, you know, if they're, or if they're taking a break, like... Kevin Lee, I guess, would be interesting. Islam Makachev, Gregor Gillespie would be interesting, but good luck getting matchups with these guys. Um, but there is no there is no shortage of, of very solid opponents in that division, so very, very intrigued to see where Drew Dober can, can go from here. Uh, also on that main card, we had Ricky Simone winning a split decision over Ray Borg. Uh, I did not watch that fight super closely, Good for Ricky Simone to get back on back on track, and uh, even even without his mullet, uh, you know, good for him. Um, he's got quite a division to climb up. I can I can tell you that much. Um, and then Ray Borg, man, I don't know where Ray Borg goes from here. I mean, I, obviously there's fights you could make in the UFC. I'm not saying he's done, but you know, he can't make he can't make flyweight. And when it comes to fighting people at bantamweight. Yeah, he kind of tends to struggle a little bit. So, if there was a 130-pound division, I think he would be that'd be very well suited for him. Um, but I, I'm not exactly. I mean, he's young enough. He's like 26, but not exactly sure where he goes. Uh, the the main card opener we had Andre Arlovsky winning a three-round decision over Felipe Linz. Andre Arlovsky, the timeless wonder, um, and that was an interesting point that the. Uh, uh, the media crew, uh, the broadcast crew made on on uh, on TV. Like we've been talking about the downfall of Andre Arlovsky for eleven years, and yet he's still. Right before you're gonna cut him, he just finds a way to win a fight. You know, he had he had that four fight losing streak back in 2009, 2009 to 2011. He had a five fight losing streak. Somehow he didn't get cut. Uh, in, from 2016 to 2017, I mean, he, it's something crazy. Like he's, I guess, if you count the Felipe Linz fight, he's won four of his last 14. So he's four nine and one or whatever. Like he's just he's gonna set an all-time record. Like him and Jeremy Stevens are competing for who can have the most UFC losses, because Jeremy Stevens is only like 32, 33, and he's a well, I don't want to say a fan favorite, but he's got a fan-friendly fighting style, and Dana White seems to like him, so he's going to be in the UFC as long as he wants. Arlovsky's a former champion, so you know, you always can um, you always can build fights against young guys. And I mean, no doubt that's what they were trying to do here with Felipe Linz, because he had some hype coming in after he was the PFL heavyweight champion uh, for the 2019 season, and again, I I, I picked Felipe Linz on the preview show, but again, I, I didn't feel too great about that one, uh, just because this was a guy who lost three of his last four in Bellator, then he goes to the PFL, he goes on like a three, four fight win streak against 
UFC rejects. And then, you know, I don't want to say Andre Lovsky is the bottom of the barrel at heavyweight, but he's he's darn close. And there's just levels to this, man. Like UFC, Bellator, PFL. You, you flamed out in Bellator. You did really good in PFL. You're still two rungs below the UFC. So when you come to the UFC and you lose, kind of tells me you, you got some stuff to you got some stuff to work on. We'll put it we'll put it that way. Uh, on the oh excuse me, this was the first. This was the opening fight on the main card because of that uh, the 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 removal of that uh, Marvin Vittori fight. Uh, but Michael Johnson loses t- to Tiago Moises. Again, I didn't have a whole lot to say on Tiago Moises before the fight. I still don't. Uh, good for him. He just kind of bum-rushed him at the start of the second round and and uh, ankle-locked him. Uh, tough run for Michael Johnson. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Um, I know he had that, that controversial f- loss versus uh, Stevie Ray in his last fight uh, late in, in, in 2019. But I just don't know what to make of Michael Johnson. He is a tough SOB, that is for sure. He's got very quick hands. But I, I'm i perplexed by this guy because he beats Edson Barbosa. He beats Tony Ferguson. He beats Dustin Poirier. And then he'll, like, he just loses to Stevie Ray and, and Darren Elkins. And, like, he's a, obviously a very talented guy because he's stolen some very solid wins from some fighters who have be, go, gone on to win gold, albeit... Uh, in a couple of them, actually most of them, just interim gold. But I, I don't know what to make of this guy. Uh, man, I guess I guess he goes back down to to featherweight. I don't know if he can do that, but I mean, I think his last three. Oh no, excuse me, his last two losses, so he's back up at lightweight. Man, I I just don't. I don't know. Maybe he go to Bellator or something. I feel like Michael Johnson would be a very big star in Bellator. To be honest with you, like in in that lightweight division, I mean, what do you what do you really have in Bellator? You know, because Michael Johnson can beat a lot of very good fighters. So I, I I would tell him just to go to Bellator, and he could become the Bellator champ. Like what is it? You got Michael Chandler. Uh, is Pitbull still the champ? You got Patricio Pitbull, I believe, who's still the champ. And then you got like Brett Primus, Benson Henderson. If he hasn't moved up to welterweight, I think he's still at lightweight in Bellator. Uh, Miles Jury. Like you got some, you got some interesting matchups. You could go to Bellator, and he could go to Bellator and and uh, you know main event some fights and and you know maybe become champ. But I I just don't know what he does in the UFC. Apparently, he still has championship aspirations. But you've lost you've lost six of your last eight, and you've lost eight of your last 10. So, man, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a tough spot for him. I mean, he can last in the UFC for a long time because, again, he, he has a fan-friendly style and, uh, you know, you always can feed newcomers to him. Uh, not that Moises, I guess he's technically not a newcomer because he had a couple of fights in the UFC, but, you know, you always can feed bottom-of-the-barrel guys to Michael Johnson and, you know, kind of use him as a litmus test, but... Um, I would probably say a, a move to, to Bellator would be a, a little bit, a little bit more prudent at uh, at this point. Uh, on the prelims, we had uh, Sajara Eubanks beat Sarah Morris uh, by unanimous decision. Again, there's not a whole lot to talk about. Two fighters with 500 averages. 
who should not be in the UFC, but there's a very shallow talent pool in the uh, in certain female divisions. So we're we're forced to watch fighters like Sajara Eubanks and Sarah Morris. Uh, we had Omar Morales win a decision over Gabriel Benitez, and that was disgusting. I did not need to see the the shin that suddenly grew female genitalia. That was absolutely disgusting. Uh, I cannot get that out of my head, and my shin feels itchy because of that, and I don't like that feeling. I mean, I've, I've seen plenty of messed up stuff on the internet in, in my days, but that is absolutely disgusting. That might be the grossest thing I've ever seen. Um, I forget who, because I think it might have just been some like Eastern European promotions, but I, I've seen ones where you have super bad cuts on your head and you can see your skull. Um, those are gross, but this one's just disgusting because your, your, his shin was just flayed like a, a, a piece of chicken. So that's absolutely disgusting. It's, it's more disgusting than Anderson Silva's leg break. Um, I'm trying to think of some gross ones. I mean, Overeem's lip was gross, but it's just a lip. So you don't, you don't like see like tendons and stuff. Uh, that one was gross, but that, that honestly, you know, I might have to do some more research. Wow. Well, I'm not going to, I'm full honestly, I'm not going to do research on this cause I don't want to go down that rabbit hole cause that's disgusting, but that might be the worst thing I've ever seen in an octagon, uh, bar none. Uh, in the, uh, second fight on the prelims, we had Brian Kelleher knocking out Hunter Azure, uh, in the second round again, man, I need to hone in my, my fight predicting skills because I, I'm batting about 500, but listen, I, I try to come in with a hot sports takes because that's what that's what y'all expect at this point. But man, it's tough. I sh- I should have gone with Brian Kelleher. I went with Hunter Azure, and I should have known. I, you know, it's not exactly rational. If I was rational, I would have picked Brian Kelleher because, like I said on the preview show, he knocked out Oday Osborne, another guy from the Contender Series who had a lot of hype around him, and he stopped the hype train. And he stops another hype train, albeit a... Listen, I don't think people said Hunter Asher is going to be the next champion, but, you know, there was some hype behind him. So, you know what? That one's on me. That one, that you know, that's my bad. I should have picked Kelleher. I was looking at the evidence. I was seeing all the evidence that suggests that Brian Kelleher was going to beat Hunter Asher, and I just said no. I went with a gut feeling, but I must have had something bad for breakfast that day because my gut was wrong. It was wrong. So, you know, that it's fights like that that frustrate me because, you know, man, I just got to be more logical. I got to be more cold and calculated with my fight predictions because if if I was listening to anything, I, I would have picked Brian Kelleher. So that one stings because that, you know, goes against my batting average. And then the first fight on the prelims, Chase Sherman knocks out Ike Villanueva in the second round. There are levels to this game. Chase Sherman does not belong in the UFC. He was 2 and 6 coming into this this uh, fight with Ike Villanueva and he just absolutely murked him. Just vicious elbows. And and that's one of the good things about having fights with no crowds is well number 1 you can hear Andre Arlovsky scream when, you know, toes smashes his balls. Um but also you can hear Ike Villanueva's gut just absorb haymakers from Sherman. 
Um, so that was interesting, but, you know, and again, I went with Villanueva because he was on a four-fight knockout win streak. But again, you really never know. It's kind of a crapshoot with some of these lower-level heavyweights. And, you know, Chase Sherman got cut from the UFC for going 2-5 and five, or 2-6 and six maybe. Uh, and, and then he just puts that type of performance on Villanueva. That tells me that Villanueva should go back to Fury FC or whatever, whatever fight promotion he was in before. Uh, I don't believe Chase Sherman has magically gotten better. I think he just went up against an opponent that was very, 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 very underqualified. Um, not a big believer in the vanilla gorilla, but again, you know, I guess we'll see how that goes, whether or not, you know, this was just a one-time thing or if he's, if he's back in the UFC, but, um, you know, props, props to the vanilla gorilla. Cause that's a, that's a great nickname. I do not recognize Chase Sherman as the real vanilla gorilla. That distinction will uh, obviously remain with former uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers basketball player Joel Prisbilla. Uh, shout out to Joel Prisbilla. Who knows what he's doing right now, but he has the uh, greatest nickname for a basketball player of all time. Uh, and that's pretty much it, man. You know, my takeaway from this is, number one, it's amazing that we have fights back because... You listen to how some of these people talk about baseball and the NHL and NBA. Yeah, that stuff might not come back for a while, the way some of these people are talking. Uh, So we might be stuck with fights for a while, which is fine by me because it's my favorite sport. I'm very glad that the UFC has the balls to put on these three fights in in, in a one-week period. I think they're doing it the right way. It's solid entertainment. And I just need to get better at my predictions because you people deserve better predictions you know what? But listen, we're we're getting back to fights, so I'm I'm still honing it in, kind of like the UFC's honing it in with testing. You know, Jacare tests, and then all right, we got to get him out of here. We got to clean stuff up. We gotta, we you know, we got to keep testing. I'm still honing it in. So imagine, imagine tomorrow on Friday, uh, we're gonna have the preview show for the Saturday card with uh, Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris. Just imagine how good my predictions are going to be on that Friday show. I'm probably going to get all my predictions right because I was slightly below 500 on the 249. I'm exactly 500. I got five of the five right on Wednesday show. Guys, I'm honing it in. You know what I mean? Pitchers don't just come up in the first inning and throw their first pitch. They've been warming up. You know what I mean? So this is, you know, I know it's it's prime time, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still honing it in. So I feel really good about what my prediction is going to be for that Saturday card. Again, uh, tune in uh, tomorrow, probably tomorrow night, uh, we'll we'll be doing that uh, uh, preview show. Again, uh, be sure to follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely, E-L-L-E-M-N. And thanks for tuning in, everybody. This has been North Star Sports.